You and I have been friends for a long time, but I know in my heart that I've always needed you more than you've ever needed me. And I'll miss our time together more than I can say. But you know what? There will be a new day and eventually a new year. And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring, oh, rest assured, once again, it will be time for Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon, a new year. And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring, oh, rest assured, once again, it will be time for Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon, wherever you may be. Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Cofield and Company, Steve Cofield, Willie Ramirez, Justin Watkins from the Battleborn Injury Lawyer Broadcast Center. Going to be up here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, relatively brand spanking new studio that we get to use all the time. Appreciate the folks here at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570-9000 is the number you hear. Vin Scully, that was him signing off of his final baseball call. Well, he passed away last night. We're going to get to that throughout the show. 94 years old, 67 years, the announcer for the Dodgers, and you know what, I'll admit, I was a little bit sad for like two hours last night. There was not a time limit on being sad, but I was a little sad looking at social media, but we'll go through all of that uh, in just a couple of minutes. Let's come out of the gates here. we got a lot of NFL news to get to because we've got that next step with the Deshaun Watson deal. The NFL has appealed. We've got more to get to with Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady's a big part of the story, and we didn't really cover that a whole lot yesterday. Uh, Brady and the Dolphins and Brian Flores and tampering and uh, offers to fix games or alter games. So that's all coming up. But we are about 26 hours away from Hall of Fame game. This is the beginning of the football season, preseason action. Raiders meet up with the Jaguars. It's a massive Raiders weekend for the Hall of Fame with Cliff Branch and Richard Seymour going in. And we pointed out yesterday it's kind of weird that Jacksonville has actually named some of the guys who will not play. I think they've got their quarterback set. The Raiders are being a little more secretive. So, Willie, you're on the beat. Willie Ramirez, of course, from AP, is down at Raiders camp all the time. How many starters do we see? Do you do you risk it in the first of four games? I, I don't. It's it's tough to put a finger on it be, just because, you know, I think back to the, the, the third day of the draft when McDaniels and uh, Dave Ziegler came in. Josh Daniels and uh, Dave Ziegler sat down with us and – you know, they, they talked about how basically just about every unit there was going to be a competition. I mean, outside of Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Max Crosby, Chandler Jones, do we really have a solidified lineup, even the running backs room? So it, it's really tough to say because if you look at the depth, let's just say at running back, right? Let's say he sits uh, Josh Jacobs. Maybe he doesn't use Kenyon Drake. Okay, well, you still have some guys who have experience to sort of carry you through. Let's say he doesn't stay, start Derek Carr. Three guys with two of them, maybe, you know, a little bit. Of I mean, it's really tough to say. With the offensive line, the rotations he's going to have, some of those guys are going to be playing in a regular season game. So it's tough to gauge what the Raiders are going to do. Like you said, we know who Jacksonville is not going to play. And I think there's some out, outlying sort of storylines there in Josh McDaniels returning home. This is, I mean, they're going to be, he's going to be coaching on a field in which he played his high school career at. So there's a lot of uh, interesting storylines. Normally, the Hall of Fame game, it's been, you know, it's ho-hum. You watch it, okay, low-scoring game generally. 
watching the third, fourth strings. Guys are going to be cut in another week or two. But in this one, there's so many storylines with, with Josh McDaniels and the entire Raiders organization that I think it'll be somewhat fun to watch. I mean, as far as the point spread is concerned, it's I, I would lean toward, I would never think about betting a preseason game in the past, especially the Hall of Fame game. But this one, it's a little intriguing. Jake Luton, Luton uh, is going to be starting for the Jaguars. So he's got some experience around the league. Now on the Raiders side, they they have no choice but to play at least a few series quarters with experienced quarterbacks. I, right. I don't I wouldn't expect Garbers to be out there for all four quarters. No. No. I, I, I would I would think that there's gonna be a rotation, maybe one per quarter. If you know, or you know, get a couple of series out of the way with one or two. But I mean it's that's just it. It's, it. The Jaguars in their depth with, I believe it was in the running back room, they're going to be down to their third, fourth string guys as well. So um, the Raiders are at the advantage here. The Jaguars, we're not going to see much. I think we're going to see a majority of guys that are going to be on their cut list. So news of the night last night and uh, part of today, and especially in L.A., you know, they're doing a lot of coverage of Vince Scully passing away on the heels of Bill Russell passing away. Bill Russell, 88. Vince Scully, 94, 67 years, the voice of Dodgers baseball. We'll play some audio for you later on, actually throughout the show, of a lot of his baseball calls and just just him chatting about really anything he wanted to, telling stories, all that good stuff's on the way. This is another one of those people who passes away where, you know, you kind of have a personal experience with him. Someone, you know, everyone out there has a personal experience story about Vince Scully, or it's kind of like the that backing soundtrack of your life. So that, that's what it is for me, right? Um, I didn't grow up in L.A. I can imagine if you grew up in L.A., it's really moving the last day or so because, you know, this is someone you listen to all the time. But I'll just say for me, I am a big fan of radio. I still am. Like, I really appreciate the medium. You know, much of what I heard early in my life was play-by-play on radio. I worked a bunch of, you know, jobs, as most people do. Um, you know, for minimum wage when you're, you know, your kid and man, I, I kill time at work by always having a radio on driving to and from work with a radio, you know, a game on. So I have all those East coast people I, I knew, but I also, as time went along, you get more exposure. And for me by like the mid eighties, probably earlier, but I knew who Vince Scully was. And then he was, you know, he's part of the broadcast for the 86 world series, which was with the Mets and the Red Sox, two teams I disliked. Right. So he was involved in that. So for me, you know, everyone has their personal experience. And, and I, man, the messages I saw last night, I'll try to read some of them. That's what really got me is, you know, someone makes a mark in society when you see this outpouring of emotion. And he's 94 years old and people were like really shocked. And I saw the word devastated. But so many broadcasting people, fans, you know, telling stories of how much they love listening to him. Or, you know, then what it does is it also takes you back to your father, your mother, your grandparents, because, you know, they were around, you know, to experience Vince Scully. Think about think about the length of this guy's career, Willie. He called games starting in 1950 where a manager, Connie Mack, was in his last year. Connie Mack was born in 1862. He also called games late in his career for a guy who came up when he was like 20, 21 years old, 20, 21 years old, Julio Urias, who was born in 1996. So he covered baseball characters 
born at the beginning of the Civil War. <laughs> and then in the mid-90s with a Dodgers young pitcher. Just an incredible span and an impact on so many people. And better than all of that, and I could go on and on and on, uh, better than all of that is the way he did radio. Like, we do a different kind of radio. But Vin Scully, in very few words, could describe action. Almost all the big calls he made, you noticed. He would make the call, and then he's like, you know what? Whether I'm on radio, but especially on TV, I'm going to let the scene play out. He just shut up. It was never, you know, overly wordy. When yeah. he did need to be more wordy, it was those times during a baseball game that slows down, and he's telling great stories about, you know, snakes and wolves and, I mean, so many good stories. And his delivery was always consistent. He was still great into his mid-80s. Great! Yeah. He, he is one of the best of all time. I'd say the best play-by-play guy on baseball of all time. And even though we do sports talk radio, guys like that describing the action of something they love helps you fall in love with sports. And in some ways, that's why I do what I do. It's not very similar to Vince Scully. I'm not going to compare myself. No, but he he's a guy who, and I was thinking about this after he passed and, and then uh, this morning and you know, at the at the gym and, and doing cardio, you're watching watching videos, right? Just old YouTube clips. It's early this morning watching YouTube clips. And the thing is, is he's one of those guys that we are, like you said, we're doing what we're doing. There, there for me, the iconic figure back then was Howard Cosell because I was, you know, Monday Night Football. I was always watching that his 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 banter back and forth with Muhammad Ali. Um, that that was always for me, but but Vince Scully was right behind it because back then you talk about you know people in L.A. and you were back east in New Jersey is in Vegas before there was a Fox network right it was just CBS ABC CBS and your local PBS station Fox, uh, Channel Five out here was just KBBU Five but they broadcast Dodger games this was like yeah. here so we watched all those games Vince Scully we that's a good we, point I forgot how so, so what Vince a presence Scully, L.A major presence had here. Vince yeah. Scully had here you know. Um, you know, along with, you know, um, Ross Porter, you know, and Ross Porter was a UNLV broadcaster. He's, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, he's the only one that broadcast a World Series champion uh, and a, was it was a was a was an analyst for a World Series champion and, and a national basketball champ, which was UNLV. So, I mean, there were a lot of influences that he had that Vince Scully had here in Las Vegas not just in Southern California. And obviously as he grew and he was, went national and then there was a game of the week he would do, uh, eventually they bring him on, you know, just like you see other broadcasters grow and they'd add them to the, the broadcast a Bob Costas or, you know, um, uh, Tariko Vince Gully was that, you know, he wasn't just baseball. We're going to get into that throughout the show. So a lot of Vince Scully talk today throughout the show. Let's do a giveaway right now to kick things off in style. Uh, four tickets to the ESPN Fan Zone. That's for the Aces and the Chicago Sky. That's coming up next Thursday, the 11th, at the MUA, Mick Ultra Arena. That's a 7 o'clock start. Fan Zone is brought to you by Westar Credit Union and Finley Volkswagen in Henderson. You can grab your own tickets for the Aces at axs.com. But right now, Fan Zone tickets, ESPN Fan Zone tickets. Ari's got four of them, 364-1100, caller 7. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. And all year long, he answered the demands until he was physically unable to start tonight. 
with two bad legs. The bad left hamstring and the swollen right knee. He's trying to catch lightning right now. Three and two at the plate. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Well, for that generation of the folks who grew up in the 80s, that might be one of, or that might be the greatest Vince Scully call. There's a, We have a Sandy Koufax later on when he threw a perfect game. For the folks who grew up in the 60s, that might be the greatest call. There's the Dwight Clark catch in the NFL. That could be the greatest call. There's so many good baseball calls. Fernando, no hitter, but uh, Vince Scully passed away last night. So outpouring, I mean, what an impact, outpouring of uh, nice messages and stories on social media. Justin Watkins is in. Justin, we have a ton of stuff to get to in the NFL. And I, I, I often think, I say it on the air, but I was, I was thinking today, I'm like, my God, if we didn't have an attorney, and frankly, we have multiple attorneys on because Xavier Pope is on Thursday. I don't, like, I don't know how we would talk sports because we're embroiled in this stuff all the time, especially in the NFL. The Deshaun Watson stuff is so fascinating. I had planned on coming in today just to get your reaction to the six-game suspension. We'll get to that. But the NFL has used its three-day window to fire back on Sal Robinson, the retired judge, who handed down six games, and the NFL is like, we're appealing that. Why? Why? So I got a theory on that, but before I do, I'll just say I think uh, I was listening to a couple of the old Vin, Vin Scully calls, and I think the the Hank Aaron seven fifteens probably bet. I think it's better than Gibson's actually. I think it's, it's the amazing. Best one. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's right. amazing. We're we're gonna play that a little later on as well. It's yeah. it's amazing because there's such a story and it's such an impactful moment yep. that he captures perfectly without a stumble yep and he lets Sick. it and he lets it happen yep. right he lets the whole thing happen there's yep. quiet for like so 20 great. 20 seconds so and then great. he summarizes what happened during that silence it's, it's great but um okay so here's my theory on, on, on what i think the nfl is trying to do uh i've read a robinson's opinion at um you know beginning to end it's not that long it's only a 16 page opinion um and here's a couple important things number one she finds the accusers credible she thinks he did it. What does she think he did? She thinks he committed sexual assault pursuant to the definition of sexual assault that the NFL is now first putting into play today. Okay, so she acknowledges they did not define sexual assault prior to, to this arbitration, um, but that she accepts their definition, which is basically unwanted sexual contact. contact. She finds that he intended on trying to make sexual contact. He did make sexual contact. The contact was clearly in at least a couple cases unwanted. Um, and it was voiced to Watson that it was unwanted. She found that he showed no remorse. Um, she found uh, that his testimony was not credible, that she didn't believe that he believed that he didn't do anything wrong. Um, but I think critically, from my perspective, she found that this was a nonviolent sexual conduct. And so that's a big deal from her perspective in finding for the six games. So what I think the NFL is doing, I think the NFL is going to take all those findings as a fact and say, okay, it's established now. He did it. We think that 
we agree with all of her findings. He did it. We just disagree with the uh, suspension amount. And so we think him doing him committing sexual assault, they'll use that tagline, is a year's worth of uh, suspension. So I think that's that's their game there. I think Goodell's going to hear the appeal himself. He's going to say, I accept all the facts. I don't accept the punishment. The punishment should be more severe. And then we go to court. Probably. Then we do Tom Brady all over again. And there's a good chance at that point there's an injunction and we could see Deshaun Watson on the field in week one. Yeah. It's very possible. Um, You know, from my perspective, I thought where where Robinson did a, a fantastic job was talking about the history of discipline across the board in the NFL. And what she said is by by categorizing this as nonviolent sexual conduct, she puts that below domestic violence. Mm -hmm. She puts it, you know, in the category of other she had other examples of nonviolent sexual conduct, right? Unwanted touchings, unwanted kissings, unwanted, you know, um, overtures by players and personnel within the NFL. None of which you got anywhere, didn't even get half of six games. None of them got three games. The most severe had been two games. And the least severe of domestic violence had been eight games. So, or I'm sorry, the most severe of domestic violence, they only got eight games. If they're unwanted, how are they not violent? Because there was, it was undisputed and, and the NFL did not dispute this or present any evidence that force was not used. Okay, so they didn't present any evidence, nor did they um, dispute that he didn't grab the person and force them onto his penis. He didn't uh, do anything in in that regard. So uh, it's different than rape. It's different than rape. It's different than a violent sexual assault. It's different than that. But it's 26. That's what she said. That's why she got to. That's how she got to six games. She said it's the worst non-violent sexual conduct case in NFL history. And that's why it deserves the greatest punishment that's ever been dealt for such an offense by a multiple of three. And that's where she came up with six games. But she said, you can't, you can't give them more than six games when you are allowing somebody to beat their wife or girlfriend and you're only giving them four or eight. She used the NFL's inconsistent precedent against it. And this is, and this is again, it sounds like we're defending Deshaun Watson. What we're defending is judging things by the facts and precedent. I, I've heard some people getting super emotional about this, and they're like, the problem with this is she looked at it like a lawyer and a judge. Isn't that what we want? Exactly. It, or, or are we supposed to do – we're supposed to look at this like, hey, from a business standpoint, Goodell you know, has to look at it from a PR standpoint. Really? Is that what we want? That's- We've already complained. He should not be judge, jury, and executioner. I argue he cannot look at this from a PR standpoint, that that's a violation of the CBA if he were. You know, his job is not to to look at each case on a case-by-case basis as to how it affects PR. That's not what's been collectively bargained. What's been collectively bargained is a, a process in which prior punishments from the NFL is relevant evidence for future punishments. They've agreed on that. That's been collectively bargained. So... I mean, she does state in there, I think that this should be a more severe punishment, but I can't do it because the NFL's never punished people severely for this stuff before. You know, I mean, go to go to crazy things like the Greg Hardy story. 
and, and what happened there. I mean, if if they think, you know, to put this in crude terms, if they think it's it's so egregious for Deshaun Watson to wiggle his way on a massage table so that his penis touches a person who doesn't want it to happen, then they really need to hear the facts of Greg Hardy and what went on in those rooms. And, you know, Brown and, and Roethlisberger and all those other ones, right? I mean, violent offenses. Bizarro times in the NFL. And they do need outside help, and in this case, they're not accepting it because they know there's been blowback here. So we'll see what Raj does. I think he's now got 10 days mm-hmm. to render judgment, which I, is – but this whole thing, this next step is incredible. The NFL has appealed the six-game suspension to Deshaun Watson. Quick timeout. We'll come back. We'll reset because the NFL also got a decision back on what was going on with the Miami Dolphins, and there's two layers to the story. There's a tampering with Tom Brady, and there was also the claim that the owner, Steve Ross – wanted his coach to tank games and offer him $100,000, and that he was not exonerated on that charge, but he came out yesterday and was like, we're free and clear. I don't think you are. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. To make the understatement of the day has had a very tough life. Let's start when he was 12. He was doing work on his grandmother's house, and a hired hand showed up with a wolf on a leash. Johnny loved dogs. He had never owned one, though he had no idea about how serious a wolf might be. So he walked up to the wolf, and the man hollered at him, No, it's a real wolf. Don't pet it. The 2-1 pitch in. Well, the man ties up the wolf, goes around the corner to mend the fence, and Johnny goes back to the wolf saying something like, oh, I'll talk to him and it'll be great. And the wolf attacks him, has knocked him down on his chest, just about ready to devour him. Johnny suddenly, totally and completely relaxed. He was done, he knew it. And whatever he did by relaxing, the wolf decided, "Uh uh-huh, I don't have a rival here. And the wolf got off his chest. Johnny got up and walked away. Round ball by the diving Turner, and the base hit by Johnny Gomes. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Never misses a beat. Johnny Gomes, the wolf attack, smooth as hell, doing the play-by-play. Vince Scully, rest in peace. So, we're on... The, you know, kind of the uh, the front end of this whole Deshaun Watson thing. Now now it's going to get really interesting with what Roger Goodell does. Before we get to the Dolphin stuff from yesterday with the NFL, Justin Watkins is here. You just mentioned something during the break that Sue L. Robinson also made mention of something with the NFL and big problems with the league that we've brought up many times that players and owners seems to be seem to be treated differently. Yeah, she said without – raising any names but you know i think it's a a thinly veiled uh shot at how the nfl has treated the robert Kraft situation but uh she said that this conduct policy the sexual assault policy applies to owners as well as players and all nfl personnel that was her interpretation of it now how far does that go beyond here i don't I don't know that it, it goes anywhere, but if I'm a future arbitrator and that issue's come before me, um, I, I'm going to cite to it. Now, the reality is there's no collective bargaining between owners and the NFL. If, say, for instance, Ross wants to dispute this um, penalty 
you know, he, he has access right to the courts. He doesn't have to go through a binding arbitration process. Mary Jo White came down with a decision on Raw saying the Dolphins organization tampered on two different occasions with Tom Brady. Million and a half dollar fine for the owner. First and third round picks are gone. This one's fascinating. Yeah. On so many levels. Because it also violates the trust of other owners. Totally. Well, and I mean, we, you know, I think the NFL tried to sweep this under the rug and act like the money to tank games was no big deal. But I mean, maybe we're a little bit more susceptible to hearing this out here in Vegas. But all I hear is, oh, tanking games, integrity of the game. Like, how can I bet on games if I don't know that the owner is trying to pay the coach off to to lose them all? Right. Like, that's important information to know. Um, So the NFL said, yes, that he did make the statement of offering $100,000 to Brian Flores to lose games, but that it wasn't a meaningful or intentional or, or, or basically it wasn't a real offer. Um, so Brian Flores took it the wrong way. Yeah. And Flores said yesterday, he's like, how dare they minimize those statements? Right. And if I'm Calvin Ridley and his reps, like, wait a second. I bet on the Falcons. I have no direct contact with them to affect their game. Steven Ross potentially was offering money to throw games. Well, and what they didn't say is that he wasn't trying to throw the games. They just said that they didn't believe that the $100,000 was a real offer, Mm. you know, but they just ignore the fact of the underlying policy abuse there. And that is you're trying to lose games. (laughs) You're not supposed to try to lose games and you're telling other people to lose games. Whether or not you actually offered them money or not, you're telling your coach to lose the games. Um, you know, I think that's a real problem. And, uh, you know, they didn't, I don't think they adequately addressed it. Um, but th- we got two classes of citizens in the NFL, you know, the owners and what they get to get, to get away with yeah. and everybody else. But as I mentioned, this is owner v. owners. Like the Glazer family with the Bucks and the Kraft family, be like, you can't start talking to a guy before he's made his decision. I heard, you know, I heard Levitard talking about it this morning, actually, on Dan Patrick show over on Fox 1340. And it's something I hadn't even thought of that, you know, when Brady penned that goodbye uh, this year and Patriots fans were like, you didn't even mention us. Levitard was like, he was saying goodbye to the Buccaneers because he was fin- he potentially was finishing off the deal to go to the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Like, hmm, maybe that was the case <laughs> for the second tampering. It's so funny. Right? 2019, yeah. 2022. Yeah. And now we've got owner v. owner again. We, we already know that, that punishment. The, the stuff with Snyder, who knows what's going to happen with that, with these skimming allegations. This is a crazy group that right. Goodell has to manage. That's the only reason there's any punishment whatsoever is because other owners were hurt. If other owners weren't hurt, this would be swept under the rug like Dan Snyder uh, and every other incident. They had Robert Kraft, all of that. They just act as if it doesn't happen. Um, you know, and... How long will that continue to go? For as long as the players allow it to go, right? At some point in collective bargaining, if they want it to be fair play, they've got to fight for it. You've got work to do. I do. We, we, we broke in on your work today for your regular spot, but we, you know, we forget sometimes like this guy's running a, a thriving business and he's got to represent people. And those people are very important. There's no champagne and caviar bullcrap here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm downstairs writing motions as we speak, literally. Well, thank you. All right. I appreciate you cutting it off for a couple minutes to come up here and join us at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. 570-9000 is the number. Appreciate it, Justin. All right. Thanks, guys. Willie's here. It's Cofield. Uh, coming up more, talk about 
Vin Scully. We got the football frenzy. And then we got a lot of hardcore breakdown. You know, I know people out there want more and more and more UNLV football coverage. Well, I've been out at all the practices, most of them. Um, Caleb Herring has been out of some practices. And that's like a different level of analysis. Caleb's got some really good stuff on the first five practices for UNLV football. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. Well, we have sad news to announce. The Dodgers just posted that Vin Scully, the longtime broadcaster for the Dodgers, passed away today at the age of 94. You don't have to be from the L.A. area to appreciate what that man did for not just baseball, but for all of the sports that he announced. I know, Mike, that touches your heart. I love to chop me baseball. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, that was really cool. That was during the uh, Giants TV broadcast last night. And Mike uh, Kruko, former Major League pitcher, uh, said, you know, I love Vince Scully. Also said the first time he heard Scully say his name, he's like, I've arrived. Like, I made it to Major League Baseball. Really cool. The outpouring of uh, well wishes for Vince Scully, just amazing yesterday and today. Uh, this guy knows a lot about sports, past and present, and uh, we've got NABJ in town. David Aldridge is going to be part of that. A longtime expert on the NBA. He's working for the Athletic now, and he gives Cofield and company here in Vegas a couple of minutes. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. Uh, the Vince Scully stuff is sad, and I know you're, you know, like, uh, I'm an East Coast guy, a Northeast guy, New Jersey guy. You grew up in, in D.C., so... Uh, I don't know. What did Vin Scully mean to you as a voice of sports? Well, you, look, you don't have to have, I think the gentleman said, lived in L.A. or been a Dodgers fan to understand what Vin Scully meant to baseball. Um, his, it wasn't just his talent, which was substantial. It was his incredible decency as a human being. Um, there's so many stories from so many people that I know that, that work in baseball, that covered baseball, that all have the same thing, that at some point early in their careers when they were just starting out and nobody was paying them any attention or knew who they were, if they were at a Dodgers game or they were, you know, in that orbit, at some point Vince Scully came up to them and introduced himself to them, you know, as, yep. as if to say, hey, you know, you're part of this, you're part of the baseball fraternity, you're part of the baseball family. And it was always the same thing. Please, you know, come up to the booth anytime and talk to me. You know, so um, he did that for so many people. I met him once. I was co- I was covering the 1987 World Series, believe it or not. Um, and I was, you know, at the time he was doing the Major League Game of the Week on NBC. So obviously, I knew who Vince Scully was. Right. And it was, you know, otherworldly because he he was just so revered and so good and so and you couldn't have been nicer it was a very it wasn't a long meeting but um certainly a, a you know a life well lived and you know i and and someone who used their talent to enhance the lives of other people to make other people feel better and give other people some comfort and some enjoyment from his broadcast i think is, is an incredible testament to him the voice of uh, David Aldridge here from The Athletic with Cofield and company. Let, let's pivot to the other you know, rough point of the week, and that is Bill Russell passing away at 88. And we had Gary Washburn on yesterday, and I said to yeah. Gary, and I'll say it to you, I'm, like, I almost don't really want to talk about 
his basketball accomplishments because uh, so many of you guys have all these great stories about who Bill Russell was post-career and during his career away from the basketball court. Right. right, exactly so. And that's, you know, it's been very difficult to kind of try to write a tribute to him. It's been hard for me because it seems to me like the word, whatever words I come up with to kind of celebrate him celebrate his life, I think, will be inadequate, you know, because his life is so consequential. Uh, and he meant so much to not just the, the, the NBA and the Boston Celtics, which is obvious, but just to civil rights and human rights. Um, his, his willingness to stand up to his full six feet, nine inches um, and demand to be treated like a human being and not a commodity and not a piece of meat and not a person of color who can be told you can't eat here or you can't stay at this hotel um, at a time when that was dangerous for a black man to do that, like physically dangerous, like you could be killed, and many were, uh, for standing up for their rights. Um, and for him to do that, to go down to the South, to go to Mississippi after Medgar Evers was assassinated, um, to, to march in the, the, the march on Washington, to be a voice for civil rights, uh, it just, he was just such a, a consequential figure. It's, it, 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 I feel like I'm in, it's inadequate of me to try and summarize his life in a way that, that yeah. would honor his life. And so I'm struggling with it. I really am. I've been struggling with it all week because I just don't, I just don't, normally the words come easy. They come out hmm. all the time. This, I have no, I have no formula. The words just come out about this, whatever it is, whatever this is. I sit down, the words start coming out. I, the words aren't coming out because I can't, I can't find a, a touch point for him. And that's how much I respected him and respected his life and respected his career and his, his humanity. It's just difficult to kind of summarize it. David, you talked about uh, Vin and, uh, and, and Bill, you know, how revered they were. And I think even in today's era of media members and athletes, I remember seeing Bill Russell at a Las Vegas Aces game. He was in a wheelchair, but not only Bill Ambeer, then coach, you know, coming up and talking to him after the game, but the players, the ladies of today knew who he, he were. The revereement that you talk about with Russell, and are, are we have we lost that a little bit, like, with, with today's era because of maybe social media, whatever it may be. Yeah. Have we lost it with media and athlete, athletes? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And Howard Bryant, who I'm sure you guys know, the prolific author, covered baseball for a very long time, just he has a new book out about Ricky Henderson. He was on my podcast yesterday. He works at, with ESPN.com um, and, and, and wrote a really smart column about Bill Russell that touched on that very subject which is that in our zeal to have to debate and argue about everything and be on opposite sides of every issue now, no matter what the issue is, we have to argue about it. You know, we tend to take these historic figures and diminish them into a set of numbers. Well, he only shot 44%. How good could he be? They only had eight teams in the NBA. How good could they be? You know, I, I like J.J. Redick a lot, but it, it was just terribly insulting to just dismiss the people that played in the NBA as plumbers and firemen. Um, because, yeah, some of them were, but a lot of them weren't. Will Chamberlain wasn't. <laughs> Walt Hazard wasn't. Uh, you know, um, Walt Bellamy wasn't. Uh, you know, and, the, and the, the thing that 
you kind of dismiss and forget is that because there were only eight teams, Bill Russell had to play Will Chamberlain every week. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it is now in the NBA where maybe you play a team twice in a season or three times in a season. No, they played each other like nine times, ten times a year, twelve times a year, more if you count the playoffs. So, um, you know, it was, it, it is, it's diminishing to someone as great as Bill Russell to try and reduce into a set of numbers, even eleven titles, which is kind of the trump card of all trump cards, right? Um, you know, he he did so much more for that team. Um, than win championships. I think he was just his example was so so substantial. You come to keep coming back to that word that you 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 insult him by by reducing in the numbers. You know because he was so much more than that and was so much more important to the history of the game than that. David Aldridge, John Cofield, a company here in Vegas. You mentioned his podcast uh, Hoops Adjacent and uh, the most recent episode with Howard Bryant. And uh, Marcus Thompson, I, I saw you tweet a lot about and wrote about uh, baseball the last couple of days for DC. And you're a real DC guy. I mean, you went to you're born I there, am. you went to school there, to, to Matha, you went to American. You know, so I'm sure right. you follow as a media person and as a fan, and you, and you know fans. And and I, I really felt what you were saying yesterday about you know when these teams decide to just bail and trade young stars, it really it, it can be gut wrenching. Yeah, it's 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 really tough because. You know, baseball, of, of all the sports, really, because there's just so many games, you know, they have twice as many games as the NBA and the NHL have, and, you know, ten times, literally ten times as many games as the NFL does in a given season. And and so if you're going to, if you become a fan of a team, you have to invest a lot of time or money, and it's usually both. Like, it's not cheap to go to a major league game. You guys know that. Um so if you go to five games a year, you have to spend a lot of money to take your family to a baseball game. Um, and then even if you don't go to the games, if you just watch them on TV, that's three and a half, four hours every day for six months. You know, it's a lot of you, – you give a lot to be a fan of a baseball team. Yep. And so, so I think it's, it's not – can't just be transactional. You know what I mean? And this is what – this is, the, I guess, the point I was trying to make is that – you ask fans to give their their hearts to a team and support the team, not just for one year, but for decades, right? You want pass it on father to son, mother to daughter, you know, family to family. Okay, if people make that decision, all right, I'm going to support you. Just say, yeah, but the guy who's like the greatest player, who's going to be the greatest player to ever put on his uniform, we're going to just, we got to trade him. Sorry, we just can't trade right. You know, like... <laughs> That's hard. That's hard. Fans go, wait, whoa, wait. Like, I'm all in. What are you doing? <laughs> you know? Like, yep. um, and so with Juan Soto, whose numbers literally are comparable to Ted Williams, this is, I'm not making this up. <laughs> you know, like, the guy, you look at all the lists that he's on, youngest to do this at 23 or the first person to do this, the only other people on the list are guys like Ty Cobb and Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio. You know what I mean? Like, and so... He's gotten off to the kind of start that only the greatest who ever played this game have gotten off to. And so to kind of just short-circuit that. And again, the Nationals went out of their way for, for the last two years to say, we are not trading Juan Soto. 
We're going to build around them. We're going to rebuild this team around them. Then they're not. <laughs> you know? Yeah. On top of, it, it will be, if this is a one-off, it would be bad enough, but Bryce Harper walked. Stone walked. They, they had to trade Max Scherzer. They, they traded Trey Turner because they wouldn't pay him either. And this is all since 2018. This isn't like over the course of 20 years. So you've asked, you're asking a lot out of Nationals fans. Like, okay, but now, for, now we're really good. Now we're going to rebuild again. And it's going to be fine in three years. So stick with us, you know. And my point is, okay, even if people want, even if people say, okay, I stick with you, two of these six players they got from the Padres pop, and one of them becomes a really good all-star level player. Right. What happens in 2028 when that guy says, hey, I'm one of the best players in the league. I want to get paid. <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, you're going to say, "Well, we we can't pay you because it's going to ruin our salary structure, so we're going to trade you for more prospects." You know what I mean? So, um, it just never kind of. It's a very difficult thing for fans here to swallow because Juan Soto, because we all knew how good Juan Soto was, we could see it. Everybody could see it. Everybody said it. People who play baseball said this guy is not normal. This guy is not natural. Um, and, you know, you know that for the next 10 years he's going to put up numbers, if he stays healthy, that are going to be, you know, historic. You want to see it here. <laughs> you want to see them, you know, down the street. You know, you want to take your kids. You're not going to be able to do that now. And I don't, I don't know if the Nationals understand how, how tough that is to ask fans to just accept as the cost of business, cost of doing business in Major League Baseball. David Aldridge, we know your time is short. Uh, we're up against it here. we got about two minutes left. But I do want you to mention just how important NABJ is, NAHJ, the convention, yeah. and uh, some yeah. of the stuff that goes on with the panels. And, again, it's, an, you know, it's a great opportunity for people to uh, you know, potentially get into the business. And we certainly have to make the, the business more open and more diverse. Yeah, no, I appreciate the time for that. Um, it's, you know, I think I've 35 of these um, over the course of time. Um, it's, it's a, you know, it's incredibly important. Uh, the fellowship is incredibly important. The programming is incredibly important. Um, we have all manner of programming that we're going to be doing this week. Some, some in, in coalition with NAH Day, the Hispanic Journalists Association. And so our sports task forces, people that cover local sports, all run the gamut from print to broadcast to digital, um, high school to college to pros. Um, and, um, you know, one of our biggest events is the Sam Lacey Pioneer Awards, which will be this Friday at, at, at 6 at Caesars. Um, and we honor journalists, but also other people of, of consequence, usually that are affiliated with the host city, who, who've done more than just be great athletes and great players that have really kind of given to their communities and been consequential people in their communities. And, and Sam Lacey, for the people who don't know, was, was, was a pioneering African-American sports writer who in the 30s and 40s you know, really, really uh, pushed for baseball to integrate, really demanded that the major leagues integrate, and was there when Jackie Robinson integrated baseball and was a real friend of Jackie and confidant. Um, so this year we're going to honor Randall Cunningham, you guys know, played at UNLV, and Sam Cunningham, his brother, um, uh, William uh, Harding, uh, who was a, a Negro League player who went on to be a really substantial journalist, 
in Los Angeles. Um, the, the UNLV team from 1990, the championship team, were going to give Andre Agassi an award because of being of the real great work he's done in Vegas with his academy, you know, really reaching out to students of color. We're going to honor Sandra Morgan, who's the new president of the Raiders. We're going to nice. uh, honor Nikki Fargus with the Aces, and uh, also uh, Jim Hill, who the sportscaster in L.A. who's incredibly famous, used to play in the NFL as well. So it's a great, it's a great group. We're very happy with the group that uh, we're going to honor this year. Um, and um, I, I appreciate you giving me a time to talk about that. Well, have a great time while you're here, and hopefully we uh, cross paths. I, I really appreciate the spot. That was excellent. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks. There he is, longtime voice of the NBA, now an editor with The Athletic, David Aldridge, DA. Of all the things I get mad about, and I get mad about a lot of stuff in sports, he, he went on for like three minutes there. That was epic about what the Nationals just did. We have so accepted teams trading off star players because they don't want to pay them. This is as outrageous as anything we've ever seen. They sold Washington on getting baseball back in 2005. It's 17 years. Now they're rebuilding? It's a major market! Think about what just happened! Juan Soto on the heels of Trey Turner and Bryce Harper all under 26 years old. What the frig? Aren't you supposed to build around guys like this? They should all be around! What's the freaking point?